Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest. I'm Jeff Smelser and I am uh, actually I'm in Narbonne, Pennsylvania today, which is about 20 miles west of Exton, Pennsylvania. Chase Byers is with us in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. It's good to see you, Jeff. All right. And Joe Works, I think, is in his daughter's home in someplace, New Jersey. Yes, in Boonton, uh, New Jersey. All right. We're going to be talking about Luke chapter 24 today. And this is a story that picks up after um, the, the death of Jesus and, and quickly tells us about the resurrection of Jesus and some appearances. And so let's start in Luke chapter 24 and uh, verse, actually, let's start in Luke chapter 23 after Jesus has died. All right. So I'm going to start reading Luke chapter 23 and verse 50. And as I do so, let me remind our viewers that you can send us comments or questions by way of the Facebook page, or if you're using the Zoom app, you can send it by the little Q&I um, icon tab, whatever it is. Luke chapter 23, verse 50, Jesus has died on the cross, and the text says, and I'm reading from the American Standard, so if you guys want to comment as we go through this on significant uh, differences in how this is translated, um, something more clear in a more modern translation, uh, be sure to speak up. Verse 50, Behold, a man named Joseph, who was a counselor, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their counsel and deed. A man of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was looking for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So let's just take a minute here. This man is said to have been one who did not consent to their counsel and deed. What is that talking about? I think it's saying that he wasn't approving of the death of Jesus. He didn't agree with what had happened to him. He was a counselor. So this, I think, is a reference to the fact that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the rulers of the Jews had lobbied for the death of Jesus. Uh, they'd condemned him, and, and it was under their authority that he was brought to Pilate. Uh, but this man had not been, uh, he had not consented with them. And they brought him to Pilate. Who was Pilate? The governor of the land. Why had they brought him to the governor of the land? He's a Roman governor, right? Right. And the, the Jews don't really have any uh, basis for saying Jesus has violated Roman law or anything. Their, their problem with him is that, well, they have different problems. Some are, have a problem that he's teaching the resurrection in himself. Some, are teach, some have a problem with the fact that he's claiming to be the Christ, and he doesn't look like the Christ to them. Many of them, the Pharisees in particular, uh, found fault with him for violating the Sabbath day, or at least violating their traditions pertaining to the Sabbath day. So why bring him to a Roman governor? So earlier on, we recognized that the Jewish leaders had tried to uh, defeat Jesus' wisdom, had tried to uh, slander his name. They were unable to get rid of Jesus on their own, but the Jews aren't allowed to kill somebody. They have to get Roman permission, or that has to go through the Roman government. And so if they're actually going to fully dispose of Jesus once and for all, they need to do that through through Roman law. Yeah, John chapter 18, verse 31, when they brought him to Pilate, and Pilate said, take him to yourselves uh, and judge him according to your law. The Jews said unto him, it's not lawful for us to put any man to death. That always seems a little odd to me because they had taken up stones on a couple of occasions trying to kill Jesus previously. They didn't seem to have any compunction about doing that then. I think the real reason, even though that they point to this idea that this, this was not within their authority to put somebody to death, 
I think the real reason is that Jesus was very popular among the common people. Yes. And um, they would, they would have, uh, they would have a problem on their hands if they were viewed by the common people as having taken Jesus, put him to death. But if the Romans did it, that's another matter. Yeah. And, and on top of that, this is Jesus's death, obviously, is going to happen in a very, very public way. And so for the Jews to have him killed in this way is going to send a message uh, to not follow in the same steps that Jesus did. And yep. so there's a lot of political reasons why I believe they went to the Roman authorities and kind of twisted their arm, uh, twisted Pilate's arm into having Jesus crucified. So Jesus' uh, body is taken by Joseph, and in verse 53, he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth. This is Luke chapter 23, verse 53. And laid him in a tomb that was hewn in stone, where never man had yet lain. What do we know about that tomb? So it was Joseph's own tomb, right? Yeah, Matthew tells us it was his own tomb. Uh, and, And that's fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 53 with a rich man in his death. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea is described as a rich man in, uh, in other accounts. Uh, there's also the fact that th- there's, there have been attempts to explain away the missing body without uh, in not acknowledging resurrection from the dead. And one of the attempts to explain away the, the missing body was to say they just got confused as to what tomb Jesus' body had been put in. Joe, you started to say something. Hard, that'd be pretty hard to... Uh, uh, not know which tomb. A- again, Chase already said this is being done very publicly, and it's Joseph's tomb. It's a brand new tomb. You know, a- everything about it, all the detail that is given here, it, it seems rather foolish to to draw a conclusion that somehow the religious leaders just got the wrong place. If it's Joseph's own tomb, he certainly knows what tomb it is. And then verse 54 says it was the day of preparation and the Sabbath drew on and the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed after and beheld the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. And on the Sabbath day, the rest of according to the commandment, they're planning to come back after the Sabbath day. But before the Sabbath day, on the day that Jesus is crucified and, and put in the tomb, they go and make note of the tomb. So Joseph knows where his tomb is. The women went, saw what tomb it was, and how body, how Jesus' body was laid therein. They didn't get mixed up as to what tomb it was in. What about this reference to the day of the preparation? Um, this is this is interesting because people. There's a lot of debate uh, among some people. I think the Bible is very clear, but there is nonetheless debate about what day it was when Jesus was crucified and the significance of this preparation. It goes back to the idea that. Some people say Jesus couldn't have eaten at the Passover at the proper time because the Passover was the next day because it says that it was the day of preparation of the Passover in John chapter 19. What's the reference to the day of preparation? What do you guys understand that to be? I've got my thoughts, which I'll get to in a minute. I, I think I agree with your thoughts, Jeff. I'd like to hear them. <laughs> I kind of set you guys up there. Yeah, and All I'm right. just crickets over here, so I'm just on the edge of my seat waiting to hear what you have to say. Well, in John chapter 19, verse 31, the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain on the cross upon the Sabbath, for the day of that Sabbath was a high day, asked the Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Uh, the term preparation is used for the day before the Sabbath day when people would get ready for the Sabbath day. We can go all the way back to Exodus, Exodus 16 when the people were gathering manna uh, each day, but on the on the uh, sixth day, they would get twice as much and they could prepare it 
but they wouldn't go out and gather any much, any more manna on the seventh day. So on the sixth day, Friday, they would prepare for the Sabbath. Today, in modern Greek, the word that is here translated preparation is, is the word for Friday. Um, and, and so it, it's the day before the Sabbath day. It, it becomes confusing because of John chapter 19, and I believe, let's see, where is it? John 19, verse 14, where John says, now it was the preparation of the Passover. And people who start with that verse, talking about, uh, talking about the uh, day of crucifixion, they say, ah, so this is preparing for the Passover, which was the next day. But Jesus had eaten the Passover supper the previous day. And Luke chapter 22 said that the day that Jesus ate the Passover was the day when it must be sacrificed. That's in Luke 22, verse 7. The day of unleavened bread came on which the Passover must be sacrificed. So Jesus ate the Passover meal at the time of Passover, which would have been in Thursday night. He's crucified on Friday, the day of preparation, and John calls that in John 19, 14, the preparation of the Passover, but he doesn't mean the day that you're preparing for the Passover. He means within Passover week, there's a preparation day, as there was every week, and it's the preparation for the Sabbath. And so that becomes clear in John 19, verse 31, and that's what we have here in Luke chapter 23. It was verse 54. It was the day of the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. Sounds good to me. And so does, is that when we think about the Sabbath then, or the, the Passover, we're thinking about the week events of the Passover, right? Sometimes we think about just that one day, but really it continues as, as a feast, right? Sure, because there was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and there was this feast, a seven-day event that immediately followed Passover. And those two terms then came to be used interchangeably. So in Luke chapter 22 and verse 1, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover. Um, so the terms are used interchangeably. And so you have this Passover meal uh, on the evening of the 14th or the evening after the 14th of Nisan. And then you have the following seven days when they were to have no leaven in their houses and you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread during that time. So, and that was all Passover week then. All right, go ahead. Did, did, we, did we talk about the, the first fruits uh, here um, recently or not? I, I, I remember talking about that with somebody. I couldn't remember if it was on here or not. We did, but go ahead and bring it in here. Well, I, I was just going to make that connection. So you have the, the Passover and then the day after Passover is the, the day of unleavened bread. And then the, the text back in Leviticus 23 says that uh, the day after the Sabbath, then uh, Leviticus 23 verse 11, the day after the Sabbath is going to be the, uh, um, the Feast of First Fruits. Um, so it's not always, it's not going to be the same every year. But it's interesting if we follow that through in the first century uh, here at Jesus' crucifixion, he's killed on Friday, as you pointed out, in the tomb on Saturday. The day after the Sabbath, then, mm -hmm. is the first fruits, that would be the first day of the week. That would be then the day that Jesus was raised, what the Jews were celebrating, the first fruits. And so with that, we come to the last phrase in Luke chapter 23 and uh, verse 56. The last part of the verse, this, on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment 
But on the first day of the week, very next day, at early dawn, they came unto the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, at this point, I'll mention there were in the 19th century, there were various explanations offered as to why Jesus' body turned up missing that would not uh, acknowledge resurrection from the dead. And one was, we already mentioned one, that they just got confused about what tomb the body was put in. His body never was missing. They just went to the wrong tomb, and we've seen that didn't make sense. But another was that Jesus never really died on the cross, that yeah. he, he swooned. It's the swoon theory. Yeah, because just because they couldn't find his body or they went to the wrong tomb, it doesn't explain how he's walking around after this. Yeah, well, but, but they'll say, though, as far as the resurrection itself is concerned in the empty tomb, one theory was that he just passed out on the cross, and when they put him in the tomb, in the cool air of the, of the tomb, he revived, he came to, and he pushed away the stone and, and walked away. Uh, but it's interesting that it talks about the stone being rolled away when the women got there. And Mark mentions that women, when the women were on the way to the tomb, verse three, they were saying among themselves, this is Mark 16, verse three. They were saying among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the tomb? So before they get to the tomb and realize the stone's already been moved, they're thinking who can move the stone for us? There are at least three women. Uh, you got, you have, uh, I grant men are typically stronger than women, but you have three women here. And on the other hand, you've got one man at best, according to the swoon theory, who is alive inside the tomb, who supposedly pushed the stone away himself. Remember, he's had a sword thrust into his side. He's been hanging for hours on a cross, nails through his hands and his feet, bleeding profusely, dehydrated, and somehow he is going to have the energy to push, push away a stone that is so large three women couldn't push it away? Seems rather remarkable, doesn't it? Uh, grasping for straws, uh, it seems. You, you, you can believe that. You might could believe in resurrection from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to Luke chapter 24 then, um, they, verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They get there and it's gone. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass while they were perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were affrighted and bowed down their faces to the earth, the women did, they, the two men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? A couple of things here. Who are these men and what do they mean when they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? So they're, they're not actually men, right? They're angels, but they are in the appearance of men in the, the text. That's what I would understand. The, the dazzling apparel seems to be the clue that's to leads us to that conclusion here. What did they mean when they said, when they said, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Well, I mean, if Jesus is raised uh, from the dead, they're seeking an alive man in a dead tomb yeah. and where the dead are supposed to be. And so, I, this this section has always kind of confused me. It's like, well, they didn't know any better. You know, they didn't know that he was alive. And sometimes the way Jesus and these angels respond is as if they should have known. Granted, and Jesus will say, I predicted this. I said that this was going to happen. 
But um, yeah, they're like, well, you're looking for an alive man in a tomb that doesn't make but, me. But don't you ever do that to someone? You indirectly give them information that they apparently don't have instead of just telling them directly. Uh, by the way, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that's why he's not here. They say, why would you seek the living among the dead? It's their way of telling the women he's been raised and, and perhaps saying you should have expected this. Yeah. And in verse six, you know, he, he's not here. He has risen. And then he reminds that they remind these, these women, how he spoke to them, to the women when he was still in Galilee saying that the son of man must be delivered up into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day raised again, look at these three things. Uh, what did Jesus told them? that he should be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that he would have to be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. The women know he's been delivered into the hands of sinful men, right? That he had yes. said that that's happened. He had said that he would be crucified and that's happened. And he they also, saw that as well. Right. And they saw the that. Women. And, and so now, now they're reminded, he also said just as surely as he said, he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and that he would be crucified. He also said he'd be, he'd be raised. Well, that's happened also. And so it's, it's, I think it just makes this text even more powerful that the women were not expecting that. Of course, his disciples weren't expecting any of those things to happen. <laughs> he would be taken. They didn't think he would be killed. And they didn't, now they didn't think that he was going to be raised. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do wonder about this, guys, because the disciples, I try to cut them a little bit of slack. Uh, because I mean, they were in there with Jesus and they knew what Jesus was capable of. Sure. And so there had to be a part of them that was just thinking, you know what? Jesus keeps saying this, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I've seen him do miraculous things. Surely none of this is going to take place. Um, and yet, and yet those things do take place. And so these women, uh, on the other hand, they're a little more down to earth about, about it. I'm sure from the outsider's perspective, they could look at what Jesus was doing and go, Something's fixing to happen here. Uh, you know, this, this is not going to end well for this guy. And I think they might have understood that a little bit better than the disciples. But it's interesting, too, that Jesus, it was not only to his disciples, the 12 apostles, that he was saying this to. This text validifies for us. In fact, he was saying this to the women as well and to others that this was going to take place. And then when the angels remind them of that, verse 8 says, they remembered his words yes. and returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. What's the 11? The 11 apostles, Judas killed himself. So he's not in anymore. Okay, sure. There were 12 apostles, but Judas who betrayed Jesus had then gone out and killed himself. And verse 10 tells us who they were. They were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them told these things to the apostles. And these words appeared in their sight as idle talk and they disbelieved them. Idle talk. New American standard says nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. You, yeah. you silly women coming and telling us this nonsense. Okay. But Peter arose. Apparently Peter thought there might be something to this. At least he wanted to see what was going on. He arose and ran to the tomb. And of course, one of the other accounts tells us John also ran and stooping and looking in, he sees the linen cloths by themselves and he departed to his home wondering at that which was come to pass. Picking up in verse 13, behold, two of them that were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was three score furlongs from Jerusalem. So, Seven miles. 
All right. How do you get seven miles? Oh, well, the New American Standard says seven miles. It says seven miles. So three score furlongs. What's the score? Seven, right? Or no, six. No, no. Yeah, and in, in football, the score oh, is you're six. right. You're right. You're, <laughs> but if it's a field goal, it's just three. That's safety, true. Safety is just two. A score is a word for 20. And so uh, three score is going to be three times 20 or 60. So 60 furlongs. We don't talk about furlongs much other than in horse racing. Uh, what's a furlong? Anybody know? It's an eighth of a mile, one eighth of a mile. So if you have 60 eighths of a mile, how many miles do you have? Well, 60 divided by eight is going to be seven and four sevenths or roughly seven and a half. So seven, seven and a half miles. Now, this is not just a mathematics lesson, not just an arithmetic lesson. <laughs> it's significant that they, that they are going to a village seven and a half miles away. We'll see why in just a minute. Um, so they, they were walking along, verse 14, and they communed with each other of all these things which had happened. What day is it? At this point, it's the first day of the week. It's still the first day of the week. And it came to pass while they communed and questioned together, so they're talking with each other, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. I think it's important to note right here, why did they not recognize Jesus? Was it because Jesus was in some different form, or was it because they, they were prevented, hindered, their eyes were prevented from recognizing Well, I mean, verse 16 says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Right. And then later on, when they do recognize him, it says their eyes were opened. Right. So the the point here, I think people people have sometimes mentioned uh, this as evidence that Jesus was in, in a different form. And the long ending of Mark that is in our Bibles uses that expression that he appeared in a different form. But Matthew, Mark, otherwise, Luke and John, don't indicate that Jesus was in a different form. They just, they were prevented from recognizing, recognizing verse 17 says, he said to them, what communications are these that you have one with another as you walk? How would, how would we say that if uh, this conversation took place today? What are you all talking about? That's right. What are you all talking about? Well, what were they talking about? Well, they, they explained um, they stood still looking sad and verse 18, one of them named Cleopas answering said to him, do you alone sojourn in Jerusalem and not know the things which are come to pass there in these days? All right, Joe. So how would we say that today? <laughs> oh, wow. You've been, um, you had your head in the sand or something. Yeah. <laughs> are you the only guy in this city who doesn't know what's happened? <laughs> which is ironic because who is it? They're saying that to, <laughs> The one who knows everything that has happened. Yes, they're saying that to Jesus, but their eyes are holden, so they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And so, but Jesus plays along with it. He plays dumb. This is kind of interesting. He said to them in verse 19, what things? <laughs> I think that's just, what things? And they said to him, well, the things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene. By the way, why is Jesus called the Nazarene? Uh, my translation says Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, he's from Nazareth. That's where, where he's from. 
who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we hoped that it was he who should redeem Israel. Yea, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things came to pass. Moreover, certain women of our company amazed us, having been early at the tomb. And when they found not his body, they came, say, if you're Jesus listening to all of this, yeah. <laughs> do you have to keep a straight face? And say, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> and they, I, Go ahead, Chase. No, it was a stupid analogy, but th- there's people who, who will walk up to Tony Hawk. A lot of people know that. And he's been posting all about it. He's so old at this point. There are people that, that walk up to him. And they only remember young Tony Hawk, and they'll say, "Hey, you look like an older Tony Hawk," Who's and Tony he'll play Hawk? along with him. He's a skateboarder. He's a professional skateboarder. <laughs> and he'll, he'll play along with him for a long, long time uh, before telling them that he's actually him. And so, anyways, that, that's what my mind goes to. But yep. yeah, it is funny to think about what goes through Jesus's head here as uh, as they're explaining to him play by play what's happened. And so they get down to verse 23. When, when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Now we're told that those men in dazzling apparel were angels. And then they continue, verse 24, And certain of them that were with us went to the tomb and found it even so as the women had said, but, they, but him, meaning Jesus, they saw not. So now they've explained what they're talking about that's happened. And this stranger needs to understand all of this that's happened. There's several things in this that I think are worth noting. Um, in the things that they've said here, what jumps out at you, things that are worth noting here? They, they make the point that it's the third day. Mm-hmm. They have at least, you know, remember Jesus talking about where he prophesied various times and on the third day. And so they've made that connection. We were expecting something to happen today. Right. So we talked about how the some didn't seem to expect the resurrection. On the other hand, some had an awareness. Jesus had said he would be raised on the third day. Yeah, Chase? Yeah, what stands out to me in that verse uh, that Joe just pointed out, they say that we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem, I'll say it your way, Jeff, Israel. And I do have a question. Do you guys think that they mean this? in the way Jesus meant it, redeem the people from their sins? Or did they understand it as many of the others did in thinking that it was going to be a physical restoration of Israel? You know, I I don't know. Um, There is this concept of the Redeemer that was going to come in the Old Testament prophets and how they understood that. it might be a little surprising if they had a mature expectation of this as a spiritual redemption, salvation from sin. Although it would not be surprising if they understood forgiveness of sin to be included in an outward restoration of the name of his, of the nation of Israel. Even 40 days after this event, as Jesus is walking with the apostles, again, think about Luke's account. Luke 24 ends with this conversation. Acts 1 picks up at the end of the 40 days, and uh, the, the disciples asked Jesus in Acts 1.8, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, I think that, that that would be the typical concept is, is Israel going to be redeem, uh, redeemed or restored to its Davidic glory? Uh, I think that's generally what the Jews were looking for. It would be an exceptional case for somebody to be thinking, 
in the spiritual terms that, that we now understand. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jesus will explain a little later on what kind of kingdom he is setting up uh, and what they need to do in verse 47. Uh, and so, yeah, I think all the way around, regardless of how they understood it, Jesus straightens them out. Verse 25, he said unto them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Behooved it not, or was it not necessary, that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into his glory? What does it mean when it says the Christ? The, uh, the Messiah, the anointed the one. chosen one. Yeah, so Messiah is an Old Testament word that means anointed. The Old Testament kings were anointed. They'd pour, they would pour olive oil on them, anoint them with olive oil, thus designating them as, as the one God had chosen to be king. And uh, Christ from Christos is the New Testament word, the Greek word that corresponds to that. And so Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Christ, is Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one, the one whom God has chosen to be uh, king over his people. And so the Jews were expecting a Christ. They didn't know who it would be. Um, but the prophets had indicated he would suffer. Yeah, go ahead, Chase. Oh, no, I was going to read. We got a question on Facebook. It's a good question. Uh, going back to the women, and even these two disciples uh, mentioned the women as well. And she asked, why didn't the apostles believe what those women said? These women were good, respected women that followed Jesus with the apostles. And uh, she says, I found that interesting to say the least. So, what are your all thoughts on that? Uh, why why didn't the apostles believe him? Peter's got it. He runs off, and he has to see it for himself. I'm sure Joe has a wonderful answer to that. Well, I think it, one of the things that we notice is that as each person comes into contact with Jesus and passes that message on, whether it's male or female, it's an unbelievable uh, theory, or you know, the the message is 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 something that, that can't quite accept. They, they want to, they have this hope, but uh, e- even later on, we're going to see, uh, you know, uh, Thomas is not going to believe the other apostles even. Uh, I don't think it's particularly the women, uh, because they're women, it's just that nobody is really expecting this to truly happen. Later on in Acts 12, we're going to have the situation where Peter is, uh, escapes from prison miraculously, and he comes to the gate, and Rhoda, uh, the maid, meets him at the gate, leaves him at the gate. She's so excited, she forgets to take him, welcome him into the house, runs into the house and, and tells the disciples who are gathered to pray that Peter is there, and, and they don't believe her at first. You know, sometimes when somebody tells you something that is just totally unexpected or unbelievable, it's, it, it's, you think maybe you're a little confused. <laughs> right. Good. Yeah. Well, and this also just reminds me in Mark's account in Mark 16, he'll talk about uh, how the women um, flee from the tomb, trembling and astonishment uh, had gripped them and they didn't say anything to anyone. And whenever Jesus gets to them, he actually rebukes them uh, for their disbelief. And so I I don't know. Um, I don't know if it was on the women as much as it was just on Peter and the rest of the guys. I don't think it's a a knock at Mary and the rest of the women as much as it is on their own belief and their own trust. Yeah, Because Jesus, because even in Mark's account, and I think this is why Mark shows a little bit more rebuke on Jesus's end. Mark, on three different occasions, repeats Jesus saying to his disciples, I'm going to die by the hands of the Jews and by, and it's going to be a crucifixion and I'm going to raise three days later. And he says that three different times to the disciples and they still didn't believe him. 
Then we come to Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. Beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here they're walking along, and there's this guy who seems to not be aware of what has happened in the last two or three days. And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know all this? And then he starts explaining to them everything in the Old Testament that pointed to the Christ. What would be some things that you would think perhaps could have been included in that? Do you remember when I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 18. Do you you remember how uh, I was uh, considered amongst criminals, but my tomb was with the rich? Uh, Isaiah 53. Um, Yeah. I, you know, one of my favorites is always the, the Passover and the death of the firstborn in uh, the Israelites when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And I'm, I'm going to cough, guys, so if you guys can take that. Well, just recognizing that the whole concept of the Passover sacrifice was pointing to Christ, that blood had to be shed uh, of a, an innocent, uh, pure sacrifice, and that's what yeah. Jesus was. You know, yeah, we, John one John one twenty nine John the Baptist says, "Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world." Um, yeah, pointing to the idea of the Passover Lamb was a foreshadowing of the Christ. So, right. you know, we talk a good bit about the Old Testament stories that foreshadow the Christ. And Joe, I know you you talk a good bit about that. I like to teach some classes on that kind of thing. But imagine if you had Jesus Himself walking you through the Old Testament, saying. Here, look at this passage. Let me show you how this passage is about yeah. me. I just <laughs> yeah, so these that, two disciples uh, on the way to Emmaus, they're getting wow, what a what a, a course that they're getting, a crash course <laughs> in Old Testament Christology, I guess you could say. And, and how much how small they must be feeling after having rebuked yes. them. Are you the only person in town that doesn't know about this? And then he just sort of begins from the, the all the way through the Old Testament to explain how all of this fits together for them. And then in verse 28, they drew near into the village. What village? Emmaus. How far from Jerusalem had they come? Seven miles. And they so they drew near into the village where they were going and made as though he and he made as though he would go on further. Jesus acted like, well, I'm going to keep going. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening. And the day is now far spent. So what time of day is it? Nighttime. And he went in to abide with them. And it came to pass when he had sat down with them to meet, he took the bread and blessed and in in breaking it, he gave to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Was not our heart burning within us while he spoke to us in the way, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. How far? Seven and a half miles. It's late in the day, but they're going to turn around and head back on foot seven, seven, seven and a half miles back to Jerusalem because they're really excited and they've got to tell people. When they get back to Jerusalem, they find the 11 and other disciples gathered together and they're ready. They're running back to tell them, but the disciples who are gathered in Jerusalem say, verse 34, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Who is Simon? Simon Peter. Yeah, so now Peter has seen him and has told them. And so then the two disciples 
uh, Cleopas and the other one who were on the way to Emmaus, they rehearsed the things, verse 35, that happened in the way and how he, Jesus, was known of them in the breaking of the bread. At that point, what happens? Jesus appears to them again. He, he appears to them again. And these appearances like this, where Jesus just suddenly appears, again, cause people to think that Jesus was not raised bodily, that he was just a spirit. This text here, though, is making exactly the opposite point. He appeared to them, he stood in the midst of them and said, peace be unto you, and they were terrified and affrighted, supposed that they beheld a spirit. They thought they were seeing the very thing that many people believed Jesus was after he was raised, that he was just a spirit. That's what they thought they saw. But he said, verse 38, why are you troubled and wherefore, why do questionings arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Why would he point to his hands and his feet? To where the nails were. Right. This is the body that hung on the cross. Not only that, but it says he said, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you behold me having. Was he a spirit? No, he had flesh and bones. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieve for joy, I just love that expression. They disbelieve for joy, <laughs> wondered. And he said unto them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? It's not a ghost. It's not a, just a, a some type of a floating spirit. It's a body that That's can right. consume food. It's, That's right. it's flesh. That is right. Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. He has that power. All right, so that's the story here in Luke chapter 24. What things that we missed going back through it, do you think that we should highlight as we go back through it? Or would you prefer to go on and see kind of the last few verses of the book of Luke and what happens here? I'll step out and, and give one possibility for something. Uh, won't argue this long, but uh, just thought it was kind of interesting to to consider uh, the the two that are on the road. One of them is name is given Cleopas in uh, verse eighteen, and the other one is unnamed. People have guessed all different kinds of things about who that might be. I certainly don't know for certain. But I do find it interesting that Cleopas and this other individual were going into a house together uh, and were going to be staying together, invited Jesus into their place. And if you would look over at the Gospel of John, um, uh, see if I can find it here quickly. John, uh, I won't find it quickly now. Uh, John 19 and in verse 25 uh, at the crucifixion. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so it's a different name. If I understand it right, Clopas there is Aramaic. Uh, and so I don't know if that is just a different rendering. It seems like it is, uh, as we find in other names that are given, you know, different spellings and so forth. And so it seems to me that this Clopas the, per, the other one that with him may very well have been uh, Mrs. Clopas, for lack of a better name. Uh, perhaps her name was Mary. Some have speculated from the text in John 19. Um, uh, but whether that's where the commas belong there is a question mark for me. Um, but I, I just find it interesting maybe to think about this being a husband and wife that have invited Jesus in 
and now they run back together. It doesn't change anything in the storyline other than maybe just giving it more I don't know, meat to it or whatever, um, but something worth considering. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. It is interesting. Chase? I'll make a comment too. Just at any time I come to the resurrection accounts, uh, it's mentioned in all four gospels, obviously. That's what we're leading up to. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. I think it can be really easy to not sit there and reflect on the resurrection as often as we should. Our culture pushes that we only reflect on it once a year around Easter. But if you're somebody who believes in Christ and you believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, I want us to just have a, take a second to zoom out and take a, take a step back and say, what if you had actually physically seen somebody raised from the dead? And you couldn't shut me up about that. If, no, if I had actually seen that happen, there is no way you could keep me from talking about that. And yet the followers of Christ today believe that a man raised from the dead. And I, I've, I've taken the time just to slow down and think, wow, Chase, you, you are convinced and you believe that there was a man who was dead for three days and then rose. Shouldn't I still feel that same want to go out and tell others about that? Whether I saw it or not, I'm convinced of that through Scripture and through the evidences we have. So why shouldn't we, as Christians, if we're convinced that someone raised from the dead, go out and spread that message every single day? I, I love that point because, you know, there are things that we see that we think are astonishing or amazing or whatever that, that are much more trivial. And, and you can't shut us up about it. We'll, we'll tell it over and over and over. Everybody we meet will tell about it. Um, that's that's a uh, that's a good observation, Chase. Good, good challenge. Well, we come to uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Of course, it, Luke also writes the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, he tells us that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection before he ascended to the Father. Here in Luke chapter 24, what we've been talking about throughout all of Luke chapter 24 took place on the, the very day that Jesus was raised, the first day of the week, Sunday to us. Um, but then in these last few verses, really the, the next 40 days are summarized. Uh, it, it's not easy to be real definitive as to where we get a uh, jump from one day to the end of the 40 days. But let's read verse 44. He said to them, these are my words, which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must needs be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their mind that they might understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name unto all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We'll pause there just to note that the apostles, one of their requirements to be an apostle was to be a witness of the resurrection so that they could go about preaching and say, I have seen Jesus alive from the dead. Verse 49, behold, I send forth the promise of my father upon you, but tear ye in the city until you be clothed with power from on high. Those words we see uh, in, in uh, Acts, the first chapter and Matthew, the 28th chapter, something similar. It seems to be words that are spoken near the end of the 40 days. So it looks like to me, perhaps here we've jumped ahead to the end of the 40 days. 
one more time, you have this emphasis on the law of Moses and the prophets, and now he adds the Psalms as well, the whole Old Testament. Uh, on a few occasions, I've heard Christians say, well, since we are Christians, we ought to be, we ought to spend all of our time in the New Testament. The Old Testament was for the Jews. The New Testament is for the Christians. Uh, I think Jesus would disagree with that uh, conclusion. Uh, we, we find great value studying all of Scripture uh, and, and finding Christ and the, the message of, of who he is and what he did for us. Powerful. Yeah, and we'll see the evangelists in the book of Acts and the apostles in the book of Acts, starting with the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, and working from there, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Paul Let's does go. that. And then, uh, of course, Philip does that from Isaiah 53 and Acts 8. All right, let's get the last three verses. Uh, verse 50, he led them out until they were over against Bethany, uh, a couple of miles east of, um, of Jerusalem, up on the Mount of Olives. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he departed from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. All right, well, folks, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, we hope that you'll be able to join us uh, Wednesdays here at 3 p.m. for Bible Quest or listen to the, pad, the podcast as an after-the-fact recording. <laughs> Sorry, Chase, I didn't say that very well. Thanks, Chase. Thanks, Joe.